We all owe them, but very few of us know them. They are the men and women of our military and first responder communities. And these are their stories. American Warrior Radio is on the air. Welcome to American Warrior Radio, broadcasting for the Four Patriots Studio. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. At Four Patriots, they believe in freedom and self-reliance and provide your family the tools to do so. Visit the number 4thenpatriots.com and enter the code WARRIOR for 10% off your first order. They call it an Alive Day, the anniversary of the date a veteran almost lost their life in combat. For Sergeant Mary Herrera, that day came on November 8, 2003, when she was the lead gunner in a convoy that came under attack. For Marine Donnie Doffenbaugh, it was October 12, 2004, when he was shot in the face south of Baghdad. The wounds ended both of their military careers, and it put them on a long and hard journey towards recovery and reintegration to civilian life. Something else these two warriors share in common, beside their scars, is the fact that they found a second mission helping other severely wounded veterans from the global war on terror on their difficult journeys. Both are joining us on American Warrior Radio today. Mary is the Western Field Representative for the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes and is with us in the studio. Mary, welcome to American Warrior Radio. Thank you for having us. Donnie is the Senior Vice President for Development and Administration and joins us on the telephone. Donnie, welcome to American Warrior Radio. Thank you, sir, for having me. Donnie, let's start with a little bit of your background. As I understand it, you're from a small town in Iowa called uh, Demois, Des, Desmoney, where? Yeah, you sound like the fraud alert department of Wells Fargo. Telling us I don't know where I'm from. Born and raised in Des Moines, Iowa. That's kind of an inside joke, folks. I, I, I spend some time in the Midwest too, and, and I trust me. The, the number of times that people mispronounce Tucson, yeah, I, I, I feel for you, brother. Now, you, let's say, Donnie didn't have an idyllic childhood. Not much money in the family. Uh, mother had some issue with with drugs. Dad was. Uh, kind of a hard drinker, and I'm guessing the first thing you wanted to do was to get out of Des Moines. Yeah, my junior year of high school, I, I really fully uh, came to realize that the, the way that I had been shown life wasn't how I wanted it to be for myself, and I'm really, really proud of where I'm at now because of the example that I'm showing my kids. Uh, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty rough. Growing up poor, I mean, that's a pretty common thing. You know, growing up with alcohol abuse or um, even domestic violence within the house or, you know, people will say my, my mom or my dad is kind of kind of tough. Uh, that That's an understatement. Uh, but it certainly was my motivator to, to do something different for myself. You know, it's interesting to me, Donnie, you're from Des Moines, but you joined the Marines. Mary is from a town nearby Yuma where there's a huge Marine base, but she joined the Army. It seems like it should be the other way around. But tell me about why the Marines for Donnie. So honestly, the Army recruiter was at lunch. When I went to the shopping mall, you know, that was a big thing. Go to the mall, see the military folks. I went to the Army office because I had an older brother that was artillery uh, that had served in the Army. And so I said, I'm going to go check out the Army. Door was closed. The little clock on the wall with the cardboard numbers said, be back in 30. And the Marine uh, that was in his office said, can I help you with anything? And I said, oh, man, I was just here to talk to this Army guy. And then he Marine recruited me. He got me in, got me sitting down in the office, probably offered me a soda. I don't remember. And pretty soon I was like, you know what? Forget the Army. I think I'm going to join the Marines. And he showed me some, you know, he had some cool posters up in the office. And I said, well, what, what kind of jobs does that guy do? You know, wearing the cool night vision and the awesome tricked out M16 and all the cool 
arthritis-inducing flak jacket. He said, oh, those are infantry. You know, that, that's the type of infantry job, kicking indoors and going after bad guys and going on long walks. Uh, it, I was sold, so I said, sign me up. Fair enough. Mary, that's a, a tough uh, tough one to beat. You, now, you grew up in a little town called Summerton. If people know their geography, it's just this side of the U.S.-Mexico border near Yuma, Arizona. What was the appeal of the military for Mary Herrera? Well, uh, I polar opposite of Donnie. I grew up in a leave-it-to-beaver Mexican household. Great childhood. I just, since I was a child, I wanted to be in the military. I wasn't aware of it, branches, didn't know. I just wanted to be a soldier, and um, I did a year of college, and then a night of uh, insomnia, having to do some school papers, I realized, oh, yeah, I wanted to go into the military. So I go into the recruiting station, and my choice was between the Marine Corps and the Army, and the coolest things that I could do was military police. And um, the Marine Corps recruiter said, well, if you want to be military police and go on the field and get dirty and have fun, you'd probably have more opportunity with the Army. So the Army it was. Now, this is well after it was generally accepted that women could fulfill roles that might engage in combat, right? No, this is before that. Okay. Um, this is before that. During um, the Clinton administration, which he had just finished his administration, Bush had started, there was a little bit more opportunity for females in the military. Okay. What's interesting to me about the both of you is the both of you are citizen soldiers. Donnie was a reservist. You were with the Arizona National Guard, which generally means you had your day job as well. One of the things that frustrates me the most is when people talk about guard and reservists and use the phrase weekend warriors. The, the global war on terror showed very clearly the extent to which everybody in our military is well trained up, is ready to fulfill any role uh, Donnie, in your case, I think you said uh, when you were deployed, you had maybe seven days with the Marines there on the ground, and next thing you know, it was all yours. Good luck. Yeah, so mine was interesting because the, the good thing, I will say the good thing about the choice that I made, which I switched from active to reserve about 35 days prior to my ship-off for boot camp day, uh, was that during that time, it allowed me to go through a uh, trade apprenticeship program that was uh, three and a half years. And then I turned out as a uh, local 106 for Des Moines, Iowa, union carpenter. And one of my favorite things still to this day is to turn nothing into something. Uh, and I'm a big fixer guy, big handyman. So by making that choice, it really, had I not been shot, it would have set me up for what would have been my my lifelong career. Uh, and, and so no complaints for me. But, yeah, I was, um, you know, once we got into, we did the, the acclimation in Kuwait, and then um, we we flew into Baghdad, and day one, I mean, our, our convoy was hit, uh, the first vehicle in the convoy was hit on day one, going from Baghdad down to the Sunni Triangle area that we would patrol uh, called Mamadiyah. Wow. Now, Mary, what was your day job, if you will? I was actually um, in a program called the Green to Gold program. My My goal was to make the Army a career. I wanted to retire out of the Army, so... Since I had a year of college in, I was doing full-time college, National Guard on the side, uh, get my E5 with the Guard, and at that point, walk on to officer candidate school and become an officer in active duty Army. So that was the plan that I was going for. And you're right, Weekend Warrior, it's, it's, a, it's a funny name 
um, I don't know how it became that that's what they call National Guard, even reservists. But I remember most of the guys that I was serving with, they were law enforcement, Border Patrol agents, supervisory uh, Border Patrol agents, sheriffs from town, um, local police department. Mm -hmm. We had a couple that were ATF. So it's uh, a lot of uh, their jobs are 24-7. I gotta tell you, I volunteer with the employer support of the Guard and Reserve, so that's why it's a sensitive issue for me. I just always stand ready to correct people um, that these are 100% full, ready to go soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marine, and I guess Space Force even too, Coast Guard. So, Mary, uh, real quick before the next break, uh, Donnie is special. You're both special, but you've got something a little extra special. Uh, the Arizona Legislature passed a law, passed a bill named the Mary Herrera. Affectionately yep. known as the yeah. Herrera. Tell us about that real quick. Well, that's uh, for anybody that's received a Purple Heart that's a citizen, um, or not a citizen, that is um, uh, local to Arizona, Purple Heart, or any first responder that got severely injured, family or whatnot, they can go to any state school for free, tuition free. For free of charge. Very nice. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. Learn more about our guests and their organization, the Coalition to Salute America. His heroes, you can visit saluteheroes.org. Don't forget, you can also find over 500 podcasts at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. Please listen to these messages and share with those that need to hear them. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking with Donnie Doffenbaugh and Mary Herrera. They both represent the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. You can learn more. Visit saluteheroes.org. Donnie, if you don't mind, describe what happened to us briefly on your Alive Day. Yeah, so a lot of people don't have a second birthday, so it's really incredible to have one, and then that's how I view it as a, a new day to kind of start a new life and it certainly changed for me um one night we were out patrolling in a rough part of town we called it the ghetto but it was a section of mamadia where we had the most interactions with people that were making bombs ieds at that time were a big big issue um that same day we found a a backpack full of grenades uh we were always finding people that had weapons that they shouldn't have we got shot at routinely and so we were walking through there at uh, about 10 o'clock at night our base was being mortared, and the radio operator said that the point of origin they thought was in our direction. So we set up a checkpoint, stopped a couple of cars, no problem. And then this one vehicle that we stopped was clean. It was red. It felt different. Uh, come to find out, the guy in the car was the son of the sheik for that area, which would be like a, the son of a mayor. Uh, so probably a lot of the ego that went along with that as well. And he didn't want us looking in his window to see if he had mortar materials or mortar tube. So he drove backwards. And we thought, okay, good enough. We don't have to deal with him. Until he went up through the grass on the sidewalk and tried to run over uh, the two Marines that were on that side of the road. They engaged him. And um, he, at that point, 
probably had been shot five or six times. We don't really know. Uh, but he pulled an AK-47 out from under the side of his seat and shot in my direction. And since I didn't have a cover or concealment, I dropped into the prone position. Um, it, it may have helped a little bit, but I wound up catching around from about 35 feet away uh, to the left side of my cheek. And as I'm talking to you guys right now on the radio, as I'm talking to you and, and you know, people are listening to this, uh, years later, the bullet is still right outside the base of my skull by where my spinal cord goes into the brain. So when I got shot, I thought that it had just grazed the side of my face and uh, it actually knocked me out for a second. So when I came to, there was a puddle of what used to be inside my body now dripping out of my body through my face. And it's it, dumb as it is, the first thought was, oh man, I don't want to bleed on my weapon. And I pushed my weapon away. And again, it, 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 you know, we I radioed for my guys to come. And uh, when the guy crashed into the building, when he died, then people in that building started shooting at us from the second and third floor. And so it was, uh, it was a pretty crazy hour for us. But when I got propped up, I was put behind in a covered position. Uh, I had uh, thermal vision goggles. I had a lot of really cool stuff on me. And it was like, or disassembly line where everything was taken from me but my M16 and a magazine by my oh, guys. God. They wanted to make sure that my gear, you know, not knowing what well, once that shooting started, uh, obviously if it, I don't need five other magazines of ammo. I don't need a couple of frags. I don't need any of my expensive gear because you never know what's going to happen. So they took all of that, and I I was given a shot of morphine. My face was wrapped up. I could see it in my non-dominant eye, which really creative and, and kind of fun when you're thinking. I felt like I was with Aladdin sitting on a magic carpet, just kind of hovering, and, and I was watching two windows for people to pop up, and if I saw a head pop up, it was like me playing whack-a-mole. And um, it, it, it was a very intense experience being on morphine, feeling like I had just been kicked in the face by a horse, and then, you know, all of the shooting is, is taking place for, it was about 45 minutes of active uh, people popping up out of the windows before part of our squad was able to go into that building and clear it. Wow. Okay. And my understanding is the first time you ever saw a helicopter. Well, so I, I'd seen them, but I certainly hadn't been in them. <laughs> and when I got back to my base, they put us in a, a mass, like a field hospital, and I was so out of it that when the neurosurgeon is, like, sticking his finger in my face to follow the course of the bullet, I see the um, the helicopter land in our base. And that was, a, I'd been there for almost two months. That was the first time I'd ever seen a helicopter land in our base. And so the battalion sergeant major and the battalion CO are rolling me out on a gurney on this, like, meshed metal grate thing to the helicopter landing pad. And I'm like, wow, sir, what? what's that helicopter doing here? He's like, well, your knucklehead, that's for you. Uh, they need to fix you up up in Baghdad. And then I just remember the whole time flying, what felt like 20 feet above a lot of those buildings where people had just been trying to shoot at us. And I thought, you know, it wasn't a very long ride, but I thought, man, someone is going to hit us with an RPG. We are right off the top of these buildings. They didn't, but it was, uh, it was an experience I'll never forget. Now, we're, we're coming up on another break, Donnie, and I, I want to get to uh, to Marion Heifer, tell our listeners their stories, because the other thing about, um, you know, I've had, oh, gosh, what's his name, the Navy SEAL on who was, who was shot in the face, and and he, I mean, his wounds are clearly visible, and I'm, I'm looking at Mary here, 
Uh, the scars are visible, and I guess, Don, in your case, being shot in the face, there they are as well. And, and I think that's just, I don't know if you'd consider that at this point in your lives a burden or actually a benefit because it opens up the conversation so people can understand. And, and Mary, in your case in particular, I've had a number of female combat veterans on the show. One that always makes me laugh, she was a, a combat photographer. She was blown up several times, had traumatic brain injury. She's at the VA to get treatment, and the Red Cross had a little table set up there with, uh, you know, coffee and donuts and stuff. And she went to help herself to the, a donut, and, and the Red Cross volunteer slapped her wrist and said, no, those are those are for the veterans. And uh, so just, you know, this common misperception that, A, because you're a woman, you couldn't have served in the military, and, B, you certainly weren't wounded. And in your case, you know, you were you were given to the bad guys as, as good as you got. So when we come back for the break, I'd like to tell that story, Mary. Donnie, back to you real quick. As I understand it, though, once you got to someplace with an expert, they made the conscious decision not to remove the bullet from you and just to leave it there because it was just so close to your spine they did not want to take the risk. And you still carry that exactly. bullet. Okay. What so bullet? Baghdad, it wasn't that bad. Lawn stool, the guy said, listen, if you want to keep walking, we have to leave that bullet where it is. Uh, sounds like it's a pretty easy decision to make then. Yes, it was. Well, you know, that that plays into something I want to talk about as part of what you all are doing for, uh, you know, our, the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes because they so many people don't understand the the wounds, both the mental wounds and the physical wounds. You may have healed, but as I understand it in many cases, and, and maybe with both of you, the pain never really goes away. I mean, you're going to live in pain the rest of your life. And and in some cases, um, you know, Donna, you joked about arthritis, but uh, you've got some pretty serious TMJ going on there too, huh? No, oh, that's, uh, that's no joke. I mean, it, it, every day talking, eating, drinking, I mean, it, it feels like I, I got into a, a slap argument with Chuck Norris, and obviously I didn't win. Uh, it, that's something no one ever saw that coming. And now, you know, I'm 2004 to 2023, 19 years, and my jaw hurts almost as bad as the top of my neck where the bullet is. It, it's bizarre. You might want to use them. You know, Chuck Norris was Air Force, so you might want to find a different example, Donnie, or Marines. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bieler Garcia. Learn more. Visit saluteheroes.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Villa-Garcia. We're broadcasting from the Four Patriots studio. At Four Patriots, they believe in freedom and self-reliance, and they provide your family with the tools to do so. Visit the number 4thenpatriots.com and enter the code WARRIOR for 10% off your first order. We're talking with Donnie Doffenbaugh and Mary Herrera. They both represent an organization called the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. Both of them were seriously wounded 
in combat, and really that's kind of the core of some of the programs that their organization provides. You can learn more, visit saluteheroes.org. Mary, we had Donnie describe his Alive Day, and in your case, you also had a, an Alive Day, and I guess to start off, you were in the, the lead in the lead turret, and this was a convoy, or what, what were you all doing out there at that point in time? We were actually heading back to our FOB, so our mission um, during the time that I got injured was taking Al-Qaeda tagged um, at prisoners of war, or enemy prisoners of war, from Ramadi to Fallujah. So we would take them. Um, the 101st Airborne would, would bring in some enemy prisoners of war. Um, CIA would come and say, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda. Then they had to move up to Fallujah, and then the MPs from Fallujah had to take them somewhere else. Um, so routine mission, and that's what we were doing. So we were heading back from Fallujah, from dropping off those prisoners, heading back to our FOB in Ramadi. And on the way back, uh, I was up on the lead turret, which we were the, the lead vehicle. I see uh, two spotters on the bridge. And by that time, it's November of 2003. We kind of know a little bit how things work. Uh, when you see two spotters on the bridge with the, with the phone, you know you're about to get hit. And uh, I called into my truck that, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I think we should all get ready. We're going to get hit. And that took a couple seconds. By the time my eyes came back up, we were getting hit from both sides of the road and just got into a, a, a firefight while we were on the road. And um, I'm, I'm firing out of my saw. Now, this is 2003. Our equipment was just not the greatest. Um, so we had the, I, I had the Mark 19 mounted on the top of the turret. Okay. And let me interrupt. We have a lot of civilian listeners here. So describe what a Mark 19 and a saw are. So a Mark 19 is a 40-millimeter round. So it's like a grenade launcher. So it's like you're popping off grenades. And the saw is a semi-automatic rifle. So... Um, the rifle I'm holding myself up on that turret, the Mark 19's mounted. I'm not using it. I'm using the saw. So I start firing um, the saw to some some um, individuals on my right side, and I felt a flick on my up uh, upper right shoulder. Uh, and I thought, okay, so IEDs had gone off. I probably got hit with the rock. It didn't stop me from continuing to suppress fire. Um, and then all of a sudden... My arm was gone, so I thought my arm had been blown off, so I wasn't about to look down and see that I didn't have an arm. What had happened was the second round hit me, and um, the first flick that I felt was the first round that hit me, and it was pretty nice, ideal round, in and out. I didn't feel anything but just a flick. The, the second round blew everything from my forearm, so the only thing attaching my hand to my arm was just skin, uh, the the ulna and the radius had all been blown out of the forearm. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm here talking to you with both arms because of the medical that we have in the military. So I'm holding that saw up there that's not mounted. Um, I make myself a smaller silhouette than my five-foot stature that I am. And uh, I've got uh, my vehicle commander, Sergeant Carl Bretos, driving, and we're giving a ride to a 3rd Cavalry lieutenant that had just gotten blown up. So we're giving them a ride back to our FOB. And um, so they're firing out their windows, doing their thing, you know, the vehicle commanders on the radio. And I'm yelling at them that I got hit, but they can't hear me. So I kick my vehicle commander in the back of the head so he can turn around. 
And he turns around pretty pissed because he's kind of busy, you know, we're in the middle of a firefight. And he looks at me and he's yelling at me to get down. And I'm yelling at him. I can't because I'm I'm securing the saw up on the on the turret. So after we argue a couple seconds, we trade positions. And um, like Donnie, you know, it, it wasn't an immediate medevac. We had to drive, continue driving to to our forward operating base, which is our FOB. We can't pull over on the side of the road because then you risk having a daisy chain of IEDs or, you know, you don't want to be sitting ducks. The In your case, uh, you know, Donnie's still got the bullet in him. In your case, it was pretty much a Herculean effort, I think, by the surgeons to just, I mean, I guess when you went under, you pretty much thought you were going to lose your arm, but they did an amazing job of, of rebuilding you, recalibrating you, if you will. They sure did it. They call them limb salvage, which is kind of funny because you think okay. of a vehicle salvage, but uh, that's exactly what they did. Um, they, uh, Since I didn't have the ulnar, the radius, and the forearm, they got a cadaver bone. So I have a diagonal cadaver bone on the forearm wrapped by hardware, by a plate and screws. Uh, up on the bicep area, same thing. It's a, uh, a plate and screws to stabilize the rest of my arm. And it's, it's been a godsend, really, because even then when they reconstructed it, they didn't think it'd take for a lifetime. And, and, you know, they brief you and say you might keep it for a couple years, a couple months, you know, it, it'll all depend on your body. But um, the reason that they didn't amputate, which everything that was going on in my arm called for an amputation, was because immediately um, the rounds gave me a, an infection in my arm, which a lot of my guys, same thing, they've got these infections and um, they didn't want to risk having to amputate at the shoulder because I would never be able to have a prosthetic. Ideally, if they would have been able to amputate below the elbow, it would have been ideal because our prosthetics are pretty amazing. They keep getting better and better every day, but uh, they decided to go with the limb salvage instead of having to amputate with the thought that perhaps later on in life they'd have to amputate. One of the challenges and part of the reason for the creation of the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes, Donnie, is you two are not alone. And I don't know what the raw number is of of members of our military that are severely wounded in combat, but it's huge. And then when you talk about the caregivers for all those military personnel, I mean, it's got to be in the millions after you know, our longest extended period of war. One of the other challenges, and particularly in your case, Donnie, you, you, you talked about how you like to, to make stuff, to create something out of nothing. But because of your injury, in both cases, this ended both of your military careers. But in your case, Donnie, it wasn't as simple as going back to Des Moines and starting up in the construction business again, right? I mean, that just, you, you couldn't you couldn't function anymore as a carpenter, basically. Yeah, so that was my initial plan was I, I kind of figured it wasn't that bad. I was dealing with really bad seizures and migraines at that time. Uh, but I was able to, you know, maintain some some sense of normalcy and, and just be able to function with like, a, you know, that whole what's your normal level of pain. And the veteran usually says three, four, five, six or whatever. And the doctor says, well, normal should be zero. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that is a luxury that we have. I went back to my job as a carpenter and I, I just turned out as a journeyman. So you, you become less and less of a peon, and then you actually get to do more of the, the cool stuff. Uh, but I tried it. I went back for about nine days. Uh, my, I was having seizures, and it, it felt like me choosing to do that was trying to kill me. 
And that's just another burden to carry as you're trying to recover both psychologically and mentally. We've got to go to another break here. When I come back, I want Donnie and Mary to explain to us both real quickly how you became engaged in the coalition and what the organization does and how that has helped you in your lives and how you feel about helping other veterans. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia, here on American Warrior Radio. Don't forget, you can download this podcast at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. We've got over 500 shows archived there. You can find us on your favorite streaming platform, whatever that might be. We're on Amazon, we're on Google, iTunes, iHeart, wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find us. And again, please, you've heard this story and how powerful it is. Please download it, share it, and tell other civilians out there about what you heard today. This is your host, Ben Gila Garcia. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes. Joining us, we have Donnie Doffenbaugh and Mary Herrera, both with the organization, both of them severely wounded veterans. So often we talk about the difficulty of the transition for veterans for lots of reasons. We just had two documentary producers on, one of who survived the Battle of Quezon, and they just produced a documentary called I Married the War. And in the documentary, they tell the stories of 11 military wives and their struggles when the war followed their husband home. And one of the things I took from that is that, you know, there's a thing known as secondary PTSD. You you didn't have to be in the war to be affected by the war. So spouses, children, and the the military members themselves. Donnie, what was your introduction to the coalition, and how did that go? So my introduction was, uh, was like this. When I got home, I tried going back to my job thing I loved doing, couldn't do it anymore because of the physical pain, the the aspects of it. They were kind of outside of, like, just reading a blueprint, writing stuff down. The physical part was killing me. I was also dealing with exactly what you guys are talking about, where I had a, a young daughter that was 11 months and, like, 28 days when I left to go to Iraq. And when I came back, she was two and a half. And so there was this difference in parenting and the way that my wife had done things while I was gone. And it's like, as soon as I got back, I wanted to jump into the driver's seat. That's a bad, bad mixture and a bad idea. And so that weighing on top of my limitations physically and emotionally, I was kind of a mess. The secondary PTSD is very real. Uh, and I'll say that. Yeah, basically, when I got home and started realizing some of these limitations, I kind of put walls up around myself emotionally and mentally. And, you know, at the, the height of the war, the height of patriotism and people coming back, baseball games and concerts and get-togethers and thank yous and opportunities to meet with other warriors and, and come out and have beers and just receive thanks from people. And I didn't want any part of that. And one of the very first people with the coalition uh, that was good friends with my family just kept pushing and pushing and pushing until eventually I relented. And I accepted his invite to go to a couple of events. And I immediately felt the difference. Of, of what that sort of like camaraderie could do for you. But then I also liked the way that it felt for some of the other people that I was there helping. And so I started taking what was being done for me. And I, at the same time, you know, unilaterally, I was doing that for other people. And that was what 
kind of brought me around was seeing what a force for good I could be doing for others when I don't just sit at home and think about throwing a pity party for myself. Mary, one of the main initiatives of the Coalition to Salute America's Heroes is, and I'm glad you all are doing this, but it makes me crazy that this even has to be done. Uh, one of the things that your organization does is you provide emergency financial assistance for severely wounded veterans and their families. And as I understand it, in, in 2021, about $583,000, you get 130 to 140 requests a month. And I just, I, like I said, I'm, well, this is a whole nother show. It baffles me why this is even necessary. Tell me about how, logistically, real quick, how if people are out there need help. What are the eligibility requirements? How do they go about getting into the queue? Well, the very first thing to do would be to go onto our website, which is saluteheroes.org. We do have a criteria, and it's pretty simple. The criteria is if you served boots on the ground in Iraq or Afghanistan and you have at least a 30% service-connected rating from the VA, you pretty much you qualify for services. And we don't only have EFA, which is Emergency Financial Assistance. We have other programs. Mm-hmm. We have the Veterans Circle. We have a Heroes Thinking Heroes program, Caregivers program. We have a lot of programs because the struggle, is it's a lifetime. The struggle is going to be a lifetime or it's not easy. I tell you, that's what I liked about it. And exploring your website is people, again, for civilians like me, we don't think about it. We, we see you. We think about your injuries. We think about Donnie's injuries. But if you're an extended rehab and you're at, at a lawn stool or another medical facility there, your caregiver, A, you're not earning your, your day job, your money anymore. B, your caregiver then has to leave home. And if you've got children, you know, there's daycare. How do you how do you pay the mortgage? How do you make car payments? There's all this stuff we don't think about. How do you pay for diapers? And the way that your program is integrated, I believe, to cover all that. And, and Donnie, one of my, the other favorite things I saw that, that Mary touched on is you started a special program for the spouses where they are actually... While they're there, they can set up and make phone calls from the hospital or, or the hotel or wherever they're staying. So they're actually earning some money. They're following up on the touch points with your donors. Tell us real quickly about that program. Yeah, so really neat. We're the only organization that exists and has a program specifically like this, but we're a nonprofit, right? Our average donor, our average gift is anywhere from $5 to $25. And we're very thankful that we've had the type of support that we have. So that's a heck of a list of people that have uh, accumulated from donating. So early on, uh, someone that was a lot smarter than me said, how can we put this to the employee and allow it to serve other veteran families? And so basically you donate $20 online, you put in your name, your number, your email address, they'll send you an email to thank you, but then you'll get a phone call from either the veteran or the caregiver. And some of the time the caregiver is a mom or a dad. We had several that were moms or dads. It isn't just the significant other. And they say, my name is, is Donnie Doffenbaugh, I'm calling for the coalition. You donated $20, and I want to thank you because supporters like you help my family because of X, Y, and Z. And it's such a beautiful way to connect with supporters, and it's amazingly unique, uh, but it's turned into friendships. It's turned into, like, people being invited to weddings. I mean, it, it's crazy what that connection can be. And then, obviously, the donors have never had anyone do that for them. So it develops kind of a brand loyalty uh, with the organization and with our donors. It's really cool, very unique, and I love it. And and they're also earning some money to cover those financial gaps themselves. 
Listen, we're running out of time here. Uh, two two suggestions, just so you know. I know you also have a retreats called the Heroes Freedom Weekend, where some of these families can come together and and help each other heal. You've got online education and training programs. Two suggestions. I don't know if this is for Mary or Donnie or both of you. Have either of you heard of the Call of Duty Endowment? I have not. So I have. Okay. That if you, uh, then you probably already connect with them. I mean, they give all kinds of grants for programs just like yours and just a very, very successful in getting veterans into high-level employment. So, Donnie, you might want to go on there and fill out some paperwork there and get a grant for that if you haven't already. Also, a couple weeks ago, we had a country western recording artist, Colton James, on. He's building a lodge, a 15,000-square-foot lodge down in southern Virginia, it's uh, going to be called the, the Lodge for Heroes, specifically for families to go and get on the great outdoors and have retreats like this. And it certainly would be a great location to facilitate one of your retreats as well. I mean, they just started clearing the land, so it might be a while yet. But uh, if you'd like, I'll, I'll put you in touch with them. I'm sure he'd be glad to, to chat with you about that. I regret that we don't have enough time to talk about the, the mental health aspect of this, but I'm certain for both of you, that's also one of the uh, one of the challenges that, that the severely wounded veterans face when they when they come home, right? It is, yeah. It's continual, and they carry it. And Mary's actually trained to help improve it. Right. I'm a social worker, and just recently we we added another program, which is a peer support program, and it's just you know all of our veterans that have done the same thing. You, we've been there, we've done that, and we're trying to stay connected because that's the one thing that we love to do is isolate. So trying to bring us back together and staying connected hold each other accountable. I, I tell you, this really came home to us here in American Warrior Radio and the, the 10 years I've been doing this show by far, not even close. The most downloaded podcast is the interview we had with Navy SEAL Mike Day. And they were breaching a bad guy house. Uh, Mike was basically shot or got grenade fragments uh, 27 times. 11 rounds went into his armor, one disabled his rifle. But the way he described it is anywhere you could put a finger on me except for my head. I'd been shot. He cleared the house, rescued the family, walked himself to the rescue helicopter. An amazing story. Almost sounds too amazing to be true, but it actually happened. And then he wrote a book a little while later about his experiences. And just just what a wonderful fellow, very strong. But you know what? Two weeks ago, Mike Day took his own life. And I just, I think about... You know, should I have reached out more? Should he have reached out more to us? So, ladies and gentlemen, I really encourage you, visit saluteheroes.org. Support what Mary and Donnie and their comrades are doing to support those families out there. This is just such an important issue. Donnie, we've got just about 30 seconds left. You, you talked about members of our military writing a check, and please, please share that with us. Yes, sir. So the one thing that's important I want people to know that even after the wars have ended, is that when you serve, if you are killed in action, that is fulfilling you the, the commitment you made when you signed a blank check made payable to the United States people for an amount up to and including your life. When you get wounded, you pay that amount back slowly, but over time, and eventually the amount equals the same. And I think that's one thing that we at the coalition are working to help with, is that continual burden that comes with mental health and physical health-related issues from being wounded. Well spoken. Donnie and Mary, thank you for spending your time with us and sharing your thoughts with our American Warrior Reader listeners. Thank you for having us. Take care. Share these messages. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, all policies and procedures are remain in place. You've been listening to American Warrior Radio. 
archived episodes may be found at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or your favorite podcast platform.